It's very good to have the opportunity to be here with you this evening. Happy to see so many who have been able to be here. The weather cooperated after all. And uh, I wasn't the original scheduled speaker. When I came to the city, I wasn't expecting to be standing here, but I'm very happy to have that opportunity. And I'm sure that uh, Matt is happy where he is holding his new baby. So we're happy to have that opportunity to be here because of a good event and not a sad one. What I want to talk about for a little while is something that we're all very well familiar with. If I was to say David and Goliath, you already know. You already know that what's going to happen. You already know the events. You know how it came to be. You pretty well know everything from the beginning to the end because we've heard the, the, the account, or if you want to call it a story. It's, it's real life. It's not a story in the sense of Disney. But we've heard it all of our lives, so we're very familiar with it. We admire his courage. We admire his faith in God. But there's a few things I want to notice about this event that we can then apply to ourselves even today. I want to draw some things out of that that I hope can be helpful to you. And here we are in this building where it's so easy to be encouraged. But about two weeks from now, we'll all be on back into our normal lives. The new year has begun. We're by ourselves again. So I want to give us something that maybe can help us to get through those days when we're all alone. So we know how it went. David was sent by his father to see what was going on in the battle. They didn't know it at the time, but the battle hadn't happened. Forty days and it hadn't happened. They've been gathered there staring at each other while Goliath comes down and taunts the army every day, twice a day. He taunts the army and, and they're very afraid of him for whatever the reason. Probably I would be just right there with him. A guy that's three feet taller than most average people of this day. Pretty intimidating. He's been taunting them for 40 days when David arrives, not knowing that. He happens to be there when it's time for Goliath to come out and make his taunt. So by now it's getting pretty old for Goliath, pretty boring. Nobody's taking him and he understands that's probably going to happen again, but he's doing it maybe for the fun of it. So he comes out and David hears Goliath's taunts and quickly realizes what's been going on for 40 days is unacceptable. All of these people in this army, who knows how many thousands were gathered there that day, have listened to this for 40 days and never done anything about it. And David can't understand how that could possibly be the case. Nobody has done anything about it. So David, notice his reaction. He was angry that God's name was being defied. He was being blasphemed and getting away with it. David was angry with a righteous indignation. So he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He's incredulous. I can't believe nobody's doing anything about this. Who is this guy? And why has nobody stopped him? So David's anger motivated him to do something positive. And once he got it in his head, I'm going to take him. I'm going to fight him. Word gets back to Saul, of course. But along the way, David has met with some some discouraging words, if you will. His older brother Eliab says to him, well, what do you think you're doing here anyway? You can't go out there. You need to go back to the sheep and take care of the little sheep for dad. You don't belong here. This is, this is for the big boys, if you will. It's kind of his attitude to David. Didn't stop David. I guess David might have said, well, I don't see you going out there. Somebody's got to do it. So I'm on my way. Saul calls him in to the, the arm, uh, the, the the general's tent, if you will. And then Saul tells him after he look, takes a look at him, assesses his size and his abilities, he says, son, I'm sorry. Uh, you're nowhere near as big as he is. You're nowhere near as experienced as he is. 
You don't have the proper training. You can't do this. David once again says, I'm going. Saul then, okay, well, I'll try my armor on. It doesn't work. We know that how that goes. He goes out there without the armor. He goes with the sling and he kills Goliath. But on the way, he and Goliath have a confrontation verbally. As he's still a long ways off, it seems, Goliath figures out who's coming after him is not one of, uh, one of Saul's best soldiers, one of his elite 13 or something, but appears to be some ruddy, good-looking youth with a staff. Maybe he didn't notice the sling yet, or maybe he saw it and didn't, didn't think of anything he should worry about. But we know how that all went. Goliath taunted him again. Goliath just was trying to get in his head, as we might say today. I'm going to feed your body to the, the, the birds of the air. I'm going to have fun with you, and I'm going to kill you and have fun doing it. That kind of a thing. Didn't deter David. He's just making his way. He was angry. He was determined to do what needed to be done. The slingshot went off. The bullet, if you want to think of it that way, the, the, the rock hit him in the head with such force that Saul, or, uh, Goliath was knocked down. Probably dead already at that point from the impact. If not, he was soon dead for sure when David cut his head off. That's the, the narrative that we know. So David did all this because of that immediate righteous indignation that he had. Who was this uncircumcised Philistine that he can defy the armies of the living God? So David's trust in God brought about the ultimate victory. His trust in God brought courage. His love for God brought resolve. He was defending God's honor. And that's what he was seeing himself to do. So he told Goliath, this day God is going to deliver you into my hand. He didn't say, I'm going to take you. God is going to take you. He said it to him two times. He will give you into our hands this day. So David fought his giant and won the victory. What about us today? There's not very much likelihood that any of us are going to be confronting you know, a 10-foot tall guy that wants to cut our head off. But we do have a giant that we face. You've been facing him all of your Christian life. This giant, if you will. And that giant I'm talking about is a spiritual giant, of course. Because as we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, our weapons are not carnal weapons. Because our warfare is not carnal warfare. It's a spiritual warfare with spiritual weapons. And our enemy is a spiritual enemy. And the giant that I want to talk about is temptation. Temptation. That's a giant that you face every single day, that I face every single day, isn't it? We all have experience facing this giant of temptation. But you see, our giant, unlike Goliath, who is, as uh, David Edwards and uh, I think Jeremy and others had this song, The Big Ugly Philistine, from their songs back in the day. Goliath was a big, ugly Philistine. I would imagine, uh, you know, we would look at him today and, and pretty afraid of his appearance. But you know, our giant of temptation today it's not a big, ugly Philistine, but rather it's subtle, packaged more attractively, and wears cologne and smiles a lot as he's selling us a bill of goods. But it's a temptation that's very dangerous. Instead of, I defy the armies of Israel this day, we're confronted with, oh, this is, this is so much fun. You should try it. It's great. You'll love it. It doesn't matter what God says. And that's a temptation that's in our head, isn't it? When we're confronted with something. We're confronted with things like that. And so he sneaks in through the shows that we watch. 
He sneaks in through the places that we go, the social media that we follow, the friends that we hang out with. He appears to our desires to get ahead, to fit in, to win, to love and be loved. And so we find ourselves cheating to get ahead, cheating to get what we want, lying to hide how we cheated, repeating the same mistakes, repeating the same sins, losing the same battle over and over. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way at all. The enemy is deadly because he uses our own desires against us. Isn't that what James said in James chapter 1, verse 14? Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Whatever it is that, that you find attractive and tempting is going to be your weakness, isn't it? By definition. But I think it's interesting. A friend of mine at, at Congregation of Goshen, a brother there is a social psychologist, and he confirmed this for me. He said, yes, it is possible for us to modify our desires. You're drawn away of your own lust, but you can't be uh, claiming that, oh, I can't change my lusts. Yes, you can. You can modify your desires by the will that you have God gave you. You can learn to not want that. The same way that you can learn to want good things. So you're drawn away by your own lust and enticed, yes. So to win, we have to react like David. We have to view temptation as Satan's defying God. Satan is defying God and using us as proxies to do that. We need to be angry at being used in that way and not weakened in succumbing to temptation. What is sin, really? Sin, really, is, is, is us telling God that his laws aren't good enough. We know better. I'd be happier if I could do or have whatever that is that I want that you've told me I shouldn't have or do. But I know better because it's what I want. That's what sin is. It's us telling God that we know better than he does. And we see that all throughout the Bible. People do things repeatedly in the Old Testament. Why? Because they're ungrateful for God's blessings and think that there's something more they're supposed to have or need. And so they commit sin to get it. Things like, I'd be better off if I had or did or whatever are dangerous things to begin to say. But the best response we can come up with when we are tempted is to say, how dare you suggest that I defy God in this way? How dare you, Satan, ask me to defy God, the one who's given me all blessings that I have. I can't turn my back on him. And don't heed the voices of discouragement. We don't have time to go into this, but it's been talked about. Hopefully it will be again. We live in a world of postmodernism, as it's called philosophically, where there is no right and wrong. Brother Deering yesterday talked very, very well about some of the impacts of that. We live in a world that more than ever demonstrates Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and call good evil and put darkness for light and light for darkness and put bitterness for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's the world we are in. Those of us who say there is an absolute standard are the weirdos. We can't let that stop us from being what God wants us to be. Proverbs 23 and verse 17 and 18 says, Do not let your heart envy sinners. Surely there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. Don't let your heart envy what you see those in the world doing. Don't listen to that little thing. Oh, it's so wonderful over here. We're having so much fun. You're missing out. No, you're not missing out on anything. What they are doing is suggesting that you defy God's law 
and live it your own way rather than doing what God wants. Another way to put it is, in this world we live in today, the danger is we should never get used to evil. Don't let it wear down on us so much that we no longer care about the issues of our today that involve the alphabet soup of who you identify yourself as. That should continue to bother us permanently, even though it becomes the societal norm, just like it was many, many years ago in the first century of the church. Another lie is, God is cheating you. That's not true. Another lie is the self-talk that we allow ourselves to, to do. We might say, well, I'm never going to be strong enough. I, I just can't overcome this weakness of mine. I just can't. I, I'm never going to be strong enough to do it. We can't let that discouraging talk ever even get into our mind. We can't allow it to have a foothold. But rather, we should say, Philippians 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have what I need. God has given me what I need. And he's also promised that he's faithful. He's not going to allow me to be tempted beyond what I can bear. He's promised that when I'm faced with an opportunity to sin, I have an opportunity to not sin. Nobody's holding a gun to my head. And with David, as he realized with God, he can win every fight. When failures occur, it wasn't God who gave in to temptation, was it? It was me. I can't look at God and say, well, God, why'd you let me down? No, it was me. You know what I did? I made a choice. It was a bad one, but it was my choice. And we all do that. We're facing this giant of temptation, and we're afraid to take him on. We give in, and we make the wrong choice. But God is faithful and will not allow us to be tempted above what we're able to bear. So keep that, that, that hope and that promise when you're facing your giants. So in summary, view sin as defying God in the same way that Goliath was defying the armies of God. Because that's all that it is. It's nothing pleasant or, or simple about it. It's just defying God's will. Don't listen to the weak or the worldly who would encourage us to stop fighting our giant. Just go with the flow. Just accept society for what it is and don't make waves. Don't, don't ever get into that mindset. Don't get used to evil and accept it for what it is. Call it out as evil and find it abhorrent continually. And join the fight against your enemy and overcome, just like David.